If you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and open them up to James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1. Ooh, I did this last week. Our AC started to shut off. and Which apparently in the new place, ACs won't shut off during our time together. Uh, I say that. you know, First of all, I am super grateful uh, to the district for allowing us to meet here. And so uh, we, we poke fun at the beautiful mural. Um, but... But we are grateful. So if you uh, have your Bibles, let's go James chapter uh, 1. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like a free one, we would love to gift one to you. Just uh, raise your hand uh, and Lacey will gladly run one to you. Uh, let me start by saying this. It's good to see some of you um, who were here last week show back up this week. Uh, I, was, I was a little concerned uh, when it came to the set of verses that we were kind of traveling through because they were not easy pills to swallow. Uh, and I just uh, thought that maybe some of you uh, weren't going to come back because it was pretty hard. And, uh, but, but as we say that, I am, I am grateful uh, for how James brought to our attention uh, just some of th- just the purpose for how we view the various trials we experience in life. And he explains that uh, some lenses that we can put on when he says, you know, when, when you face a trial that, that you can see this as a way that God is maturing you, uh, and you can see this as a, as a need for you to press in more and more uh, in what, what God is doing in your life. And now as I say that, it doesn't make it any easier, uh, but for me it does give us strength to fight uh, as James would say, it gives you strength to fight the temptation to sin that, that is lurking in those moments as it tries to draw you away from God, as it tries to draw you away from the purpose that God has for you and the lesson He's trying to teach us in the midst of those trials. Uh, and that ultimately uh, we want to grow, uh, that God's desire is to grow you holy before He grows you comfortable. Uh, and that and uh, in, in that he longs for us to understand that when we are satisfied, uh, it would be in Christ and Christ alone. And so uh, this is why our journey through this letter is so very important because uh, here at Merge, because we open the Bible uh, and we look for Jesus in these verses. It's one of the best practices of any page you get to in the Bible. You say, okay, where's Jesus in this? Uh, and if we're paying attention uh, we were talking about this a little bit uh, yesterday in our men's group. If you pay attention, you find Jesus in, in every page, uh, or at least you find echoes of Jesus. And so uh, James, what he does here uh, is he only, really only mentions Jesus by name twice in the five chapters. Uh, once he did last week in the introduction, uh, and then uh, once he's going to do it in chapter two. Uh, but what we find as we walk through these verses together is echoes of Jesus all throughout James's instructions. And I think uh, really as any good pastor should, uh, James arrives on the scene and he doesn't teach his own theology uh, because he knows something very important about it, uh, that his own theology doesn't save anyone, uh, doesn't even save himself. Uh, and so what he does, though, is bring us through lessons of what Jesus has, has taught us and uh, as, as we walk through the Gospels, we get to see certain things. And what's amazing, actually, about this letter is that it's really just a small commentary on Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, and you say, well, what's going on, Matthew 5 through 7? Uh, it's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. 
uh, Jesus gives us some incredible things. He says, you know, if you want to talk about a revolution, if you want to talk about living your life in a way that pleases God, pay attention to Matthew 5 uh, through 7. And, and all James is going to end up doing uh, is, is he's going to come in and he's going to commentate that uh, as I try to commentate him. And, and I think it's really just this further application of it that, that James brings to our attention as he's reflecting on what uh, Jesus taught and he's wanting the church of his day to be sure that they're applying those words. And, and we see this play out this morning uh, in chapter 1, and we're going to get there in a moment, but what I want to do is I want to read you something uh, that comes at the end of Matthew chapter 7 that I think you're going to see correlated here in, in James chapter 1. Uh, Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount with this, and, and maybe if you spent time in church, you, you know this. Uh, maybe if you spent time in kids' church, you sung this song. Uh, but he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because they had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell Uh, and there was a great fall of it and what James wants the churches to to understand is as we try to build our lives together as we try to build community together amidst persecution and against temptation and all these behaviors we still struggle with even today that it's part of this process of growing in our faith that that we would understand the foundation that we are building our life on uh, and he says that we would build it on the rock and so so even as we're talking about uh, the circumstances and the trials uh, from last week those those trials uh, they came and they're the that came their way, as James is talking to his church. Uh, the trials that came their way from the outside and the worldly desire from the inside of the church, from their hearts, uh, that, that it was swaying them, much like it does us today. That's the tension we feel much of the time as we pursue God. We feel a, a tension and a swaying to go in in opposite directions. And, and, and what James is going to do starting today is he's going to highlight things like anger, and ungodly speech, and that it was just running rampant in the church. Not that we have advanced very much further from that. Uh, we still struggle with anger, and we still struggle with ungodly speech. And uh, but he'll also talk about in the coming weeks partiality and covetousness laced through all throughout this community, and it deeply concerns James, as it should deeply concern us, because what James is really concerned about is. Um, is that the people would not be deceived about their relationship with God. Uh, that, that these churches that James is writing to and these people he's trying to talk to uh, are just like the crowds that Jesus is speaking to. And James is concerned uh, that they may think that they're building a life on the rock when really they're just building life on sand. Uh, and this is an issue we still face today. Um, the, the deception of our own selves believing we're building our lives somewhere when actually we're building it in a much more dangerous place. And so for the next few chapters, really, James is going to echo Jesus and he's going to take a particular, he's going to take particular behavioral struggles that we deal with 
And He's going to take circumstances that we uh, encounter in this world and He's going to blow right past them and He's going to go straight to the heart of the matter. Uh, because, uh, and, and again, it's not a feel-good process of understanding, but it's a vital one that we would understand deeper and deeper what's at the root of our issues that we have. And so uh, let's pray and then we'll get going. James chapter 1. Father, we come to You and we thank You that You love us. We thank You that You care for us uh, intimately in Your Son, Jesus. And we pray as we get to walk through just a set of verses this morning that we would be very mindful of Your Holy Spirit. That He would help us understand uh, and clarify in our own spirits uh, where we are and where we are walking and what foundation we are actually building our life in. We love You. And we thank You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. All right, so last week uh, we made it through verse 18, uh, but I want to start in verse 16 because uh, these verses kind of hinge us into where uh, we're going today. Uh, and so uh, we can bring it up, Alan. Uh, it says this in James chapter 1, uh, verse 16. It says, Do not be, and what's the next word? Deceived, my fellow brothers, my beloved brothers. And again, we asked this question last week deceived about what? What's the context? Because again, Context when reading the Bible is key, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, deceived about what? And, and basically, as they experience trials and then when they're in the midst of their own temptations, James is telling them uh, that I don't want you to be deceived. It's not God who is tempting you to sin. It's not God who is causing that to happen. That's, that's not what's happening here because he says in verse 17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. That it's coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, that there is no sh- or shadow due to change. And so this is, this is good for us to read again and again and again and again. It's a good for us to run to this verse again and again in our lives because what James says is you have a good heavenly Father and He doesn't change. He doesn't change. He's good. And that means He only does what is good. And if you're tempted to believe that God is the reason you're enticed to sin uh, or if you are belling on your faith, then let me just let you know you can't blame it on God. Um, which is why he's going to come in consistently here and he's going to use this word deceive multiple times and he's always going to talk about you and deception. Uh, not the enemy and deception, though the enemy does deceive. But when James is talking, he's saying, this is the deception that comes from within and you have to be aware of it and you have to walk through it, but it's never God. Actually, it's the opposite that is true, that you have a good God, a good Father who has given you Everything we experience that is good in this life. And all of this is, is, is in, in an example that we find uh, in verse 18. Where it says this. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. Okay? Of His own will, He, he, uh, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Okay, I love I love it. You know when James calls us creatures because we all like to call ourselves that, right? Uh, when we think creatures, we're thinking things that you squash and you step on, right? Uh, or you ask somebody else to do that. Uh, but but we are very much creatures of God, and so of His own will, what He's done, He's brought us 
forth by the word of truth. That's the gospel. Uh, that He's brought us forth by Jesus, that we can be children of His possession. We could be first fruits. And all of us, here's, what, here's the message of the gospel. All of us were bad seed. All of us were bad seed, and yet He brought us up as a first fruits of the harvest, of, of His harvest of salvation. That God is reconciling us to Him through Jesus. That's how our relationship is restored. To Him through Jesus. And no matter where you are, uh, no matter your circumstance, you are never outside the reach of His love. And that's the picture of the church. That we would be a people who would understand that in deep and abiding ways. That that would be the message of our hands, that would be the message of our feet, and that would be the message of our mouths. That God loved me so much that He would send Jesus to rescue me. And the rest of my life, is about displaying that and declaring that to the people that God puts around me. And so what James is saying to us is, is this is you. That you are a first fruit. You are a kind of first fruit. This is your identity. This is your, your destiny. And James knows something really important that we tend to forget when it comes to religion. Is that James knows that in order for people, uh, for our character to be changed... Uh, and transformed, especially in the hard moments of our lives, we need to have a vision of what that looks like. We need to have something that, that we would compel us towards Christ. And, and if we don't have a picture of what God uh, is, is taking us in, in, uh, through and why God is leading us to a certain place, then we're going to struggle, right? We will fall. We will drift. And what James knows is, is what changes and motivates people and what transforms character is beauty it's beauty you don't start with rules uh, you don't start with details you start with a beautiful picture of what's possible and what is happening and so let's take that just for a moment outside the spiritual realm and let's let's talk about uh in our in our own personal lives um if you want to teach your kid how to play a sport Okay, uh, if your son or daughter say, hey, father, mother, um, I don't know what they call you. Um, mine just says, hey, you. Um, but hey, uh, I, I want to learn a sport. The, you know what you don't do? You don't get on Amazon or you don't get on Google and you don't print out the rule book and you say, all right, well, let's just do that. No, what, what do you do? You, you take them out and you play with them. And then you take them to a game. You take them to a baseball game and you close their eyes and you say, hey, because I think one of the most beautiful sporting things you'll ever see is when you get to a baseball field and there's that little crack and you see greener grass than you've ever seen before. All right. And you take them and you let them see the sport played in its best form by its most accomplished players. And you give them a picture of what one day will ha- could happen. And that's not to say that you don't eventually get to rules and guidelines and the way you play the game. But first, you give them a beautiful picture of what happens because that will, in that moment, right? In that moment of play, in that moment of watching, something sparks inside them because there will be those moments, right? And if you are a student athlete, you know what I'm talking about. There will be those moments when your body is tired. There will be those moments when it's difficult and it's hard And the temptation will be that I don't want to do this anymore. But if we have a good vision 
of what is possible and what lies ahead, we fight through, right? That's why you get up. That's why you say yes, sir, and no, sir, to your coaches. And yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, to your coaches. That's why you sweat and you break and you fight because one day you get to compete. And then in that competing, you get to learn something powerful about yourself. That's a different lesson altogether. But nonetheless, it's true. And so James understands that if we're going to be transformed, we don't start by looking at rules and regulations. We start by seeing a beautiful picture of what God has done in our lives through Christ. He paints a picture of Jesus. And eventually we get to those others. So we're not talking about this as either or. Both of these things have to happen. But we need to have more than a set of rules. We need a vision that's compelling enough to help us fight through those moments when we give up on ourselves. And so it's the same for us in Christ, that, that His beauty transforms. We say it this way, that Jesus changes everything. He does. Everything in our lives changes the moment we go to Christ. And, and now, for some of us, this brings to the surface our dysfunction. Because we've tried it the opposite way. We were either sold a bill of goods that said, hey, God loves you more after you've done all the rule thing. Um, and you try to pursue that. And you do that either for years or months or weeks. And, and yet there's little transformation in your life. And I believe it's firmly because you're not stirred and stunned by the beauty of God. You're not compelled to that. And so when your heart does get stirred and stunned by Him, it changes, it transforms. It, it doesn't mean everything gets better or easier. It just changes. Bo Hughes said it this way, that moral instruction without a captivating vision of beauty will only produce whitewashed tombs and rebels. And this is the issue as we walk through the Gospels together. You, you get to see Jesus talk to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and He says that's you're very religious, but your heart is very far from God. You're doing all the things that look right, but yet you are very far in your vision of the beauty of Christ and the beauty of what God is doing for you. And so, so James right here, in the beginning of this letter, he's, inter, uh, he's introducing instruction, but first he's trying to set down this beautiful vision of, of verse 18, that God brought us forth through Jesus to be a children of His possession. He has rescued you in Christ. And then he spends the rest of this letter uh, in, in the light of this beauty, admonishing us for how we live that way. And so he starts by this in verse 19. He says, know this. Know this, my beloved brothers, right? So he's on your team. I love it when he says beloved because he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm for you. I'm with you here, okay? My beloved brothers, let every person, okay? And now, hold on, don't read any further because you might want to leave, all right? Because again, when these things don't happen in our lives, we admit that the fault, at least we admit it here, that the fault's not on the Word, it's on our hearts. Okay? So he says this. This is, this is practices we put into play. Let every person... Okay, so I'm sorry. I'm going to belabor the point just for a moment. It doesn't say, let one person? No, every. Thank you. Every person. So that includes you, right? Let every person be quick to hear... Slow to speak and slow to anger. But I know some of you are like, what? That's in the Bible? I don't know why you have that voice, but you do. <laughs> Let every person be quick to hear, 
slow to speak, and slow to anger. So, so these are behaviors. And if you stick around for the whole series, which we hope you do, uh, they will continue to come back to the surface again and again. In fact, uh, one of the issues uh, then, as, as it is today, was that the churches struggle uh, with their listening, their speaking, and with their anger. And James will point out how their anger, uh, how it's working itself out of their mouths. And what James will say in a very loving way is it's not pleasing to God. Uh, in fact, he says this in verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And now some of us, could, we, we could just stop right there this morning. And we could say, let's talk about anger. We're not going to, but you could. You could stop right there and just acknowledging that, that James says, hey, when you are angry, that does not produce the righteousness of God. Of God, and and so so Matthew five reminds us of this, and Jesus actually raises the bar in this beautiful section. He's like, you've heard it said, right? And he, and he uses these set of standards that we use to one up one another. Uh, if you're trying to find someone that you're better than, right? Uh, and so he says, you've heard it said, uh, do not murder. And you say, well, that's good. I haven't murdered today. And Jesus says, but I have said to you that the person who has Anger in his heart for a brother is just as guilty as murder. And you say, well, no, 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 no. That bar is over my head now. I liked it being much lower that I could just kind of lean across it. And so he says, we've got to deal with these, these things. And so as Jesus talks about it, he doesn't make it any easier. Um, but he's very straightforward. He, he says, you know, that, that we should be quick to... Uh, that how the being quick to speak and the slow to hear and the quick to anger, it's not good fruit. That it spoils us and the health of the community uh, if we are to be first fruits of the display of God's love. And so he's not talking about uh, just our external uh, outbursts and the fits that happen in our lives today or yesterday or moments before you got out of your car this morning, right? Um, what he's talking about are also these these deep-seated lusts and fears and entitlements and prides that, that rest in our hearts and it creates uh, these kind of outbursts. And So let's, let's not act like, just for a moment, that our preschoolers are the only ones that throw temper tantrums. Right? They just do it in a cuter way. All right? Like the other day when I was working out, Cannon, uh, Ramon, uh, he decides to throw a fit and as he does, he just flails his body and and i'm like that's so cute let's just roll around in that man whatever you want to do man just just have it out but if i as a 38 year old man decided to do the same thing right you would either a ridicule me or b avoid eye contact right but let's not act like just because preschoolers throw temper tantrums that we don't so james is trying to deal with that he's talking about these these deep-seated uh emotions that we have that cause these behaviors and because all outward expressions of anger come from an inner struggle from the heart okay that's why sometimes it surprises us because we didn't know what was resting here we didn't understand what we were allowing to grow and to bubble and and that's why Jesus tells us it's simply not that that just simply not murdering that person uh, you're angry with is actually not a healthy approach to Saying, ah, I did a good today. Which, by the way, it's good that you don't murder anybody today. But Jesus will always say, you, 
your anger will lead you to emotions. To emotions. And Jesus, he digs deeper than we typically do because he knows that's where real transformation happens. We want to typically deal with symptoms. Jesus wants to deal with the heart of the issue. And I feel like I'm not alone in the room saying that, hey, there are people in here that may be angrier than we've ever been willing to admit. And until we can get to that point and allow God to work through those emotions and those feelings and those decisions that we've made, we can't get any further along down the road. Because what anger does, and we're going to get to the rest of this passage in a moment, but what anger does, it enslaves you. Uh, it, you can try to justify it, but it traps you. you. You're enslaved to the lust of your heart, the lust of your flesh. You're mad. You feel entitled. It comes out. Some it comes out violently and loud. Others it comes passively and quiet. But both of those things are just as dangerous and just as deadly. And so the invitation from God is that He wants to rescue us from anger. But not by just saying, stop being angry, because we know that's not the way it works, right? Like, oh, I just decided I'm done being angry. No. The Word takes us to places about seeking forgiveness, about seeking reconciliation, about bringing certain things to the surface so that we can, I don't know, in a healthy way, deal with those things. Because here's what we know. It never goes away until you deal with it. It always rests. And so the invitation from God is that He wants to rescue us from that anger, but it can't happen until you're willing to face the monster you allowed to control your heart. And I know this because this is the invitation of verse 21, uh, where it says this, Therefore, okay, so we've made a statement, now we're going we're gonna to have a reaction. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That, that word there, to take off all filthiness, it's, it's the image of clothes, right? Uh, it's, 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 it's some clothes that need to be burned because no matter how much you wash them, they'll never be clean enough. It's clothes that are in such disrepair, you will never, they're, they're so bad, you don't even take them to Goodwill. It's like nobody should ever wear these clothes again that, and, and James says, take off this behavior. Take off this wickedness in your heart that's coming out of your life, that you're walking in it, that to take that off. And what's helpful is that he doesn't just say, take it off and we stand around naked. Because that would be awkward in itself, right? Um, but yet, he tells us there's a better way that, that we receive, that we put on, we welcome, we absorb, we submit ourselves to the implanted Word. Uh, we would believe the gospel. We would submit our lives and our hearts to it. Uh, J- John, uh, in the gospel, he begins with this beautiful phrase that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was with God. And he's painting this beautiful picture of the arrival of Christ uh, on, this, on our scene. That we would receive the implanted Word. And don't, don't miss what James has done because he, he just took the concern and behavior. Uh, the, the angry hearts, the angry words, and he took it straight to the heart of the problem. He went straight to their submission of the gospel. He doesn't stay talking about anger. and He, said, he doesn't say, hey, let me give you six simple steps for dealing with your anger. Uh, and step one, count backwards from ten very slowly. He doesn't do that. Even though some steps are good and they're helpful, 
But it say that's, the issue is deeper than that. The issue is really, am I submitting my life to Jesus or not? And, and he said, you're angry and you're speaking in a way that is ungodly and it's not producing the righteousness that pleases God. And so, so you need to receive the gospel afresh. You need to consistently come back to who is Jesus to you. And what has Jesus done for you? He says it's, it's able to save you from the sin that's indwelling, that's keeping you from pleasing God. He says, listen, humble faith in the gospel pleases God. Humble faith in the gospel pleases God. And this is how we build our lives on the rock, that we put aside, we take off these clothes and we put on and we embrace the gospel, the truth that God, uh, His grace has given us. And if so, if you're going to take anything away from this morning, uh, let, it, let it be this, that God has made a way for you to bring Him pleasure through Jesus. And now how we play out the difference that Jesus has made is imperative. Uh, and so that, that's through the gospel, through Jesus um, we, we find a purpose for living. And so, so what's interesting is this letter is not written to people who don't know Jesus, right? Remember in the verse, very first verse, he says, James, a, a servant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ, and then he's writing to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. So he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. So this isn't one of those moments of, well, okay, when I'm a believer, then uh, I'll do these things much more easily because he's talking to us. He's looking at the church and he's saying, hey, we have some issues we need to deal with here. Uh, and so, so the question is, why does he begin here at the beginning of this letter? Why is he concerned about this? And why does he stay here for basically three and a half chapters? And it's because he's going to beat this drum again and again and again. He's going to talk to us about different behaviors, but he's going to come back to the same thing over and over and over again, which is why I'm grateful for Verse 22, because this is what he's going to say. In verse 22, there we go. But, be doers of the word, and not hearers only. And then what does he say next? Deceiving who? Yourselves. Okay, we can play the game, right? We can come to church, we can look churchy, right? We can shake the hands. We can say, hey, how's it going? We can put on a good face. And we can deceive one another, which is not healthy and is not productive. Right? But that's not what James is concerned about. He's concerned about you deceiving yourself. He says, let us, let us be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. And so, so, so there's his burden that the people in these churches, these professing Christians are deceived about whether or not they have a genuine faith or not. And that's an issue. Because somehow in, in our Bible belt of this area that we live in, everybody's saved just because they're connected to somebody who's saved. And the problem with the truth of the gospel is that's not the truth. That each person comes to Christ and has to make a decision. Nobody's grafted in, no matter how, how godly your spouse is, no matter how sweet your grandma is, right? Everybody has to come to Christ on their own. 
And so, so he's dealing with these people who say, I'm saved, and James is like, I don't know. I don't know, because we had to talk about the fruit of your life. And so, so this, is, this is why he gets here so quick, quickly than I have, um, that there are men and women in the church who think they're pleasing God. They think they're in right standing with God, but they're not. They, they're, they think they are right with God because they apparently are hearers of the Word. And, and now, that, that means they, they receive it, but they receive it just sort of. They profess to agree with what is being preached. They, they come to church gatherings. They hear elders teach. And, they, and even though they're nodding and they're singing the songs, that, that their hearts are in a completely different place. Their lives are void of obedience and meekness to what they're hearing and nodding and singing about. That their hearts are filled instead with things like anger and jealousy and it's spilling out in their words and then their manners of filthiness and wickedness. And I know that doesn't sound good. <laughs> but yet, James brings it to us and so we have to walk with it. That by definition, these professing Christians are blind to their self-deception. And that they're unaware that they are building their life on the sand. They are convinced that they're building their life on the rock and they continue to chug along falsely believing they're building their life on this rock. And this is why James goes here, and because he understands that what's happening here in verse 21, uh, he says, hey, you need to meekly receive the truth of the Word. You need to meekly receive it. And it means more than just hearing it and nodding to it. It means that you embrace it in faith and you act upon it. You actually, I don't know, do what the Word says. And so what he's saying is, is the one who merely hears the Word uh, has a lifestyle that is characteristically against what is going on. He just says, I don't, I would question the faith and whether it's genuine. And you say, well, who gave him the right to do that? Well, the church. That's, that's how we form accountability with one another. That when Paul says that, uh, one of the biggest misconceptions about the Bible is that it says, judge not lest ye be judged, right? Um, and that's, that is said, but it is said in a different context than the way we tend to use it. Uh, that, that Paul says we hold one another accountable. That when Christians are living in a manner that is not fitting of the gospel, we, we seek reconciliation. We promote... Um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Repentance? There we go. That's a big word. I just found it. Uh, we... We encourage repentance so that we can walk in unity with one another. And so, so for the rest of this letter, James is going to do this. Uh, and he's going to come in and he's going to say, Hey, listen, I want you to ask yourself, is my faith genuine? Am I merely a hearer or am I a doer? One of those two things have to be at play. Uh, and, and I love the, the, illa, the mind that, I'm sorry, the word picture he's going to give us here because he says, Okay, all you need to do is simply look in the mirror. So he says this in verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And I think this is a, a beautiful illustration, especially when you consider the audience that James is writing to. Uh, because we walk around with compacts and we have mirrors all over the place and we have cameras 
you know, on the front of our phones so that we can check ourselves all the time. We have, you know, a rear view mirror that always shows just what's blossoming in your nose and out your ears. And you're like, how has nobody in the world ever seen that? Uh, does my wife even love me anymore? Or is she just given up? Uh, that's a different thing altogether. Um, but, but in the first century, mirrors weren't commonplace. Uh, not everybody owned them. Not everybody apparently cared about how much they looked as we do. Um, which, let's just talk about, that's a different lesson for another day too. And even the mirrors that they had, it, uh, it, it, it wasn't smooth glass, it was more metal, uh, and it was a reflection, but it was distorted and it was blurry. And so when they saw themselves, even in the mirror in that day and age, even if it's just a few times that they see it, it didn't leave a lasting impressions on their hearts about what they look like. And James says, this is what it looks like in our lives. That when we are hearers and not doers, it's like we look at ourselves and we say, I don't know what I'm supposed to look like anymore. I couldn't recognize my own self. That, and, and so here's the way that looks in context of what we're talking about. That you gather on a Sunday morning. You, you open your Bible during the week. You taste a portion of what God is feeding you, but in moments or in days, it's just gone. It's just, it's just gone. That's what, that's what James is saying. The word, uh, that word forget doesn't just mean not to remember. It means to discard. It means you purposely don't give it the attention that it deserves. You come and you hear and you leave. And James is saying this, this doesn't, Please, God. And God, all throughout the Old Testament, He'll say, I don't need these sacrifices. I don't need you to trample my court. Just because you're making noise doesn't mean you're saying something. And so He walks into our lives and He says, it's not, it's not healthy. And this is, James is actually helping us by taking us to a hard place. He says, you need to deal with this. Because just hearing the Word isn't, the goal, doing the Word. It working itself through your life, through your actions, through your reactions. And this is, this is what he's trying to get us to do. He says, this life doesn't please God if you just hear and you don't do. If you think it pleases God, if you think you are right with God because you come here and you do that and you read and it alleviates some level of guilt that you have, understand guilt relief isn't the game relationship is. And so he comes in. And then he contrasts what he just said with verse 25. But the one, okay, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And this is great encouragement because if you want to be blessed, here's the pathway. Right? If you want to be blessed, here's the pathway. You meditate. You go to Psalm 1. And it asks the question, who's blessed by God? And it says, the man who is planted by the river that is ever flowing. That he meditates on the Word of God. That he understands what that looks like. And we, we were discussing this yesterday, uh, Saturday morning with the men at breakfast. That, that doesn't necessarily mean you open up your Bible tomorrow and you read all of old, the Old Testament uh, and then you wake up the next day and you read all of the New Testament. Sometimes it takes about five verses for God to stop you and say, you've got to chew on that. 
You gotta deal with that. You gotta walk in that. And so this is, this is what pleases God, that we would see, we would hear, and we would do. Those are those things. And so true faithfulness is doing this. The mirror offers us something incredibly valuable. The opportunity to look and examine. So it does. Because you can't trick a mirror. It reveals it. So he says, look at the two hearers. The one who hears and forgets, the one who hears and does. And ask God, well, we've been leading to this hard question this morning. Ask God to reveal unto you, which are you? James saying, do what you've heard. Don't be deceived. If you are deceived, I'm grateful. I am grateful you were here. Um, but what God is saying is you shouldn't be deceived anymore. That, that know who you are before God and humbly receive the word of truth. And this is where he gets to chapter, uh, verse 26. It says, If anyone thinks he's religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person is worthless. So let me just get, we've been talking about deception. So deceives what? His heart. Okay? So now James isn't worried about you deceiving other people right now. He's saying don't deceive yourself. So if anyone thinks he is religious, all right, has faith and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. He tricks himself. That person's religion, that person's faith is, is worth it. Now, religion is, is not a... We, we have a bad word. It's like, like a bad word today, and it shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Um, but religion and faith can be interchangeable here. And so he's talking about genuine faith, and he says um, that, that the person who thinks he is religious but yet has no control over his tongue, he's in, he's in troubled waters. <laughs> so he takes us, takes us to... a the issues, the heart of the issue, then he comes back to the issues again. That the kind of faith that pleases God, as we remember he's a good father who has brought us as a first fruit, James says it, that this faith is what's bearing up the fruit of love. And so we look in the mirror and we start wrapping this up, Swan. So, so this, is, this is where I want to land, okay? And I'm sorry, I took too long, rambled too long. Um, I'll take longer next week. Um, but anyways, let, let me tell you the tension that I've felt this whole week about this passage. Because James walks in and he says some really tough things. He comes in and he says, you have to look at yourself and you have to ask, is my faith genuine or not? Am I deceiving myself? Do I, am I actually right with God or not? And so the tension is this is that I would, um, we would walk through this and you would sit here and some of you who are true Christians, uh, and maybe you're vulnerable right now, uh, that you would say, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know where I stand. And that in some ways you would scare somebody who had no need to be scared at all. But then there's this other tension that you would hear and then you would ignore that James might be speaking to you this morning 
saying, okay, you, you believe you have a faith, but do you? And this is why he says, don't ask somebody. Don't say, hey, can you tell me if I got something on my face? He says, you, yourself, go to the mirror. You, yourself, examine your own life. You, yourself, ask God, is my faith genuine or is it not? He says, since we're already uncomfortable this morning, let's go ahead and do that. Let me just ask you some stuff. And when I ask you, I'm not asking about your spouse. I'm not asking about your friends. I'm not asking about your kids. I'm asking you to ask you about this. And I think if it's helpful for you to close your eyes, you can. Uh, It's easier for me just because I don't see things. But are you a Christian? And we just, that's a whole nother lesson for another day about what that actually looks like. But are you a Christian? Thinking about you, nobody else. Are you a Christian? Are you one who has humbly received the gospel, the word of truth about Christ? And if the answer is a quick no to that, you're in, you're in a great place today. But I would ask you, what's keeping you from, from walking in that? What's keeping you from receiving and worshiping Jesus? What's, what's the hurdle? And then I'd invite you and uh, encourage you to believe on Christ because He loves you. Uh, this good God, this perfect God has made a way for you to be loved uh, by Him. And if you answered yes to that question, are you a Christian? Is there evidence of that in your life? The Word will always say there's, there's a fruit that comes out of our lives. Is there a fruit that's at, on display? Would, would other godly people affirm that about you? Are, are you even willing to ask them if they think you're a Christian? Characteristically speaking, do you align your profession with your faith? Are you a doer of the Word um, when you leave this room, and maybe even before you leave this room, do you put it into practice? Would your kids know that about you? Would your coworkers be shocked to find out about that, right? We said that a couple weeks ago, and you were like, ooh, yeah, maybe. Is there any chance that you're self-deceived Right? Uh, about whether or not you have a right relationship with God. Any, any chance, any chance that you might be one who looks in the mirror, walks away, and forgets what you see. Because there will be no more important question in your life. And the fear that I have as a person who gets to walk in community with you is that one day as you stand before judgment, before God, is that 
you would he would look at you and you would say, You no. And you're like, No, 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 I did all those things that looked very Christian y. He's like, But your heart was never mine. You were a hearer of the word, but not a doer. This is what James is going to keep bringing to the table. I'm just letting you know. It won't get any easier. Next week we talk about playing favorites in church. Alright? So, everybody be really nice today as you leave. But he's coming back to this part, this point. That the people of God would reflect the image of His Son. That we would say things and we would do things that reflect Christ. And it not have to be mustered up. It would be because of who we are in Him. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. We're going to wrap it up quickly. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Uh, the Hansons and Mackety, they're going to be uh, back there. Maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus. Today is that day. We would love to celebrate with you. If you need prayer because you're part of this community, we want to pray with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you you love us. We thank you that you love us so much that you will walk us through some pretty difficult places in our hearts. And Father, I pray you would reveal through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal the parts of us where we are deceiving ourselves. And I pray you would do that first by showing us an incredible picture of who we are in Jesus. We thank you. It's in His name we pray. Amen.